0: Coming up today, we discuss Natak and Chantum signing up for the women's IPL news around the world and sit down with part two of our chat with Angie Rath. But first, a shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From as little as $2 US a month as a patron, you can access bonus content at Emerging Cricket and have a say on our show's direction. A shout out to our latest patron, Sam Dyer. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's dot com slash Emerging Cricket. Another cracking show this week. Let's go. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bezig and with me at the Emerging Cricket table, I'm joined by the rest of the pod crew. First to Tim Cutler. Tim, how's things?
1: I'm very well, sir. I don't think we've had a greeting for a while, have we? You've just gone straight into interview land, but... Uh good to be here. Um, how are you, sir? You were, uh, Nobody else can see this, but you're currently wearing a Mumbai Indian shirt. That's a very full member of you. <laughs> yeah,
0: sorry. I do send my apologies out there. I'm just caught in the wave of the IPL at the moment. And we've got some associate women's IPL news to come, I suppose. So to bring it all in, I- I- if anything, it is somewhat associate. We haven't really seen enough of Sandeep Mamachana at Delhi yet, which has been disappointing. But apart from that, no, things are going well, Tim. Thank you. Uh third member of the Emerging Cricket Podcast team, better known on Twitter as Copernicus Cricket Nick Skinner. Nick, how's life?
2: Oh, life's all right. It's getting that time of year, getting a bit warmer, so I've dusted off the old uh, drip coffee maker, so that's exciting. Going to have some delicious drip coffee soon.
0: And I just look into Tim's eyes here on Zoom, and he is oh he he looks excited. He looks almost as excited as you.
1: I think you I think you actually got me into it last year. I thought I did a bit of research, and as I do with things, you know, sometimes cricket websites, sometimes cold brew. <laughs> I got a little obsessed, and I went from Jerry rigging my own cold drip from a uh, a glass you know jar with a with a tap that you put in the fridge actually to drip water into the uh, the Harry O coffee maker to now buying one. One of those things that look like it should be in a chemistry set, and I'm saying chemistry. <laughs> Hello, Tom Grunshaw, one of our writers. He's a he's a uh, graduate chemist up there in, uh, in in the UK. One of our writers, but uh, yes. So I have three litres of it in the fridge, ready to go. So um, I will also be getting the cold drip. But up here in Brisbane, it's never cold anyway, so it's always cold drip weather. This is sponsored by colddripcoffee.com.au.
0: <laughs> our coffee machine will be getting a workout with a night shift of IPL cricket to come as well. And uh, yeah, booting up the coffee machine at, at midnight, it's it's never fun, especially when it wakes up, you know, the other two thirds of my house. <laughs> anyway, before we get sidetracked again by some small talk, we've got a bunch to talk about. We have also part two of our chat with Angie Rath. A lot of people loved last week's part one. We've got part two coming up for you in a few moments. But before that, a few things to discuss discussing a huge win for the Emerging Game this week, Thailand opening bat an Emerging Cricket Ambassador, Natakin Chantum, has been picked up in the Women's T20 Challenge League, better known as the IPL. She joins the Trailblazers and will be captained by Smriti Mandana and will be joined by a bunch of top-quality international cricketers. Plenty of experience to gain, not only by hopefully playing, but rubbing shoulders as well with some of the game's best, Nick, I think, and it will do Natikan and Thai cricket the world of good.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is really exciting news. I was... I'm very much looking forward to listening to Nishad's interview with her and um, we we're all following uh, the the Thai fortunes uh, obsessively during that World Cup and it's it's great for Thai cricket but it's also great for associate cricket and I think the fact that she's been selected um, is is a, an interesting uh, vote of confidence because you know we talked to to Angie Rath and to a few other people uh, and the, the consensus seems to be that coming from an associate, country you pretty much have to be a mystery spinner to to get a bit of a look in and she's just a classical batter who you know obviously we saw her cover drives uh, becoming ian bishop's favorite thing at the uh, at that match in in the world cup and um Will she play a game? Um, you'd hope so. I mean, <laughs> if, they're, if they're flying her in, you'd hope so. And, you know, each team has got four international players on the roster. So, you would think that they're all going to play. And, you know, it's, it's quite exciting. Looking at the opposition bowlers, I don't think she'll be outclassed. She batted against some very good bowlers in the World Cup and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't out of her depth, so I, I think she'll do well. And um, hopefully, you know, they're only playing two, maybe three games if they make the final. But, yeah, hopefully she gets a chance to uh, to make an impression.
1: Yeah, I think we can all agree that it'd be great if we were seeing Natakin picked in a, a full-blown IPL and having a full season, but um, for what is there at the moment? Just superb news, you know. I have to say I was pretty disappointed because I felt like an angry sort of parent. You know, I wasn't angry; I was disappointed in, in the WPBL <laughs> clubs that I hadn't seen any tie names come up. You know, I think there's seven or eight. Kiwi players and Bez you'll know better than me that you can probably correct me as I'm going with the numbers that you know from doing the stats for your, your Fox stuff but she was top 15 run scorer in the T20 World Cup only playing four games and more runs than a lot of other players that are been picked and I think the experience and the exposure that she would have got in the WBBL who knows another year and 2021 WBBL and WIPL hopefully going to be playing in different windows but it's just just amazing news but what wasn't so amazing is that we we knew it was coming the news was supposed to be breaking during this last week when you're listening to this uh, podcast and then all of a sudden boom we see it pop up in our feed so uh, i tell you what lucky we're a cast of thousands these days we were able to pull things together and what also doesn't help is when someone has a different spelling of their name to their country's website to crick info so <laughs> the number of tweets you for everyone who has emerging cricket on a notification on uh, on the on the tweets i apologize it's just we wanted to get everything right but but uh, Great to hear her interview with Nishad. He told me he was very nervous doing that, but you wouldn't know coming through. And I think we may just have a new little greeting for everyone <laughs> at the, start of the podcast. So I just think, I, I encourage everyone to go to the go to YouTube and uh, and have a look at it. Just very very chilled, you know. I think uh, Bez, you're, uh, you're hosting, role might be in danger here. So I just pull those socks up. But look, this is a, a amazing news. I think hopefully everybody listening to the pod knows how dearly we love the way that the Thai women play cricket. And hopefully the rest of the cricketing world is seeing that more and more. And this is just another chance for them to spread that true love for the game and Dear me, I'd love to see some of those searing drives sort of sliding through extra cover or over extra cover or those little sort of cross arm, straight arm kind of pulls over backwards square leg for six at Sharjah. Short boundaries, you know, she hits sixes at the showground, could definitely do it at Sharjah. So, yeah, there's only going to be one game at a watchable time, but that looks like I'm not getting sleep on that other night. So, um, no, br- bring it on. And I think, like uh, like everyone in the room here talking, we're only going to be there to be watching one person. So, if she's not playing, we're probably going to turn off. Sorry. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know.
0: Well, My body clock is that screwed up that it it won't matter. I'll probably be awake no matter what. And Nish, if you want to come and host a show once in a while, feel free. I wouldn't mind answering some of the questions rather than asking them. But (laughs) looking at... at at Chantam's numbers, the 13th leading run scorer at the World Cup, which was all the more remarkable considering she only played four games, a lot of those players made the, the semi-final and, and ultimately the final for Australian and Indian players there and there's no easy opponents for, for Chantham at that level, so to go out there and put in the performances that she did over the course of that World Cup is remarkable again, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing that we didn't see her in the WBBL and, and not able to see her on, on Australian shores but the opportunity here is great and I think, yeah, we, we feel 15 players uh, in each squad, they're playing two matches and then a third in in the final. You would think that Chantum gets a game in at least one of them, hopefully the final as well. But again, yeah, if you look at the numbers, there's there's a very good chance she just starts in, in the 11, no matter what the situation is anyway.
1: Yeah, well, like Nick said, you're not flying Thailand's star batter over to sit her on the bench, but <laughs> you say that.
0: We <laughs> just wonder because sometimes we're
1: in the emerging cricket echo chamber, and we
0: we could talk about Sandeep all you want and, and the IPL and all that as well. But yeah, I I agree with you, Nick and Tim. I, I think you know it'd be great to see her in the eleven.
1: No, it's not just us, but look, that's what the crowd wants to see, and. and- Look, and maybe again echo chamber and we had this sort of blinkers onto the rest of the cricketing world, but I think that's all, all everyone was talking about. I don't even know who, who else was signed. It seemed to be inadequate getting all the all the accolades and the headlines and, and rightly so. Trailblazer is in the Trailblazers. I know that um, our patron Rick I challenged the uh, the reference to it as a franchise tournament, but uh look, I'm I'm banking that. Thailand's first franchise cricketer and amazing to see. All we need now is Reddit to, uh, the cricket sub to uh, to bring in a Thailand flair so we can have a flag <laughs> yes. next to our names. So uh, I don't know I was going to say nuts. he's more, no, he owns Wikipedia cricket. Whoever, <laughs> whoever's out there on, on Reddit cricket, we need we need a Thai flair. So uh, yeah, look I'm excited. Like, I remember true parts and, and love for the game and, and, the, and watching the Thai team through the World Cup and in the qualifiers, it really made me remember why I love this sport so much. So I'm looking forward to more of that, albeit only in a, uh, a small dose with Jeans playing, but can't wait
2: yeah and just pick up on a point you made about the the game against pakistan at the Showground. that was quite a low slow spin friendly pitch and I, I don't know what the pitch they're preparing for the women's game is going to be like but that pitch uh we we made the point that a lot of the surfaces down at lower level associate cricket you know are not fantastic to bat on so potentially if, it, if it's a similar pitch in the uae which has you know in the past been quite spin friendly it it could put her in good stead in in that sense
0: yeah it's tough to get a gauge of charge only because in the men's IPL it's a postage stamp and all the scores get heavily inflated based on the the size of the boundary so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out we mentioned lug nuts and we mentioned Rick air now I was with a patron the other day in the form of Ryan Morgan and we speculated that Rick air could be lug nuts
2: oh
0: now this is a mystery that a lot of emerging cricket people have been trying to get to the bottom of and thinking of how rick air you know he's he's on top of a lot of things in international cricket and domestic cricket around the world and associate cricket he's a patron of an associate cricket organization could rick air be lug nuts
1: no <laughs> it's andrew nixon let's move on yes very very <laughs>
0: that's a great finish uh moving on and looking to the ICC chairmanship Process The deadline is coming up October the 18th. Imran Kawaja, we imagine, is in line running for that. Uh, Tim, we imagine that, that Kawaja will be, I suppose, one of the favourites, even though he's coming from an associate member in Singapore. Uh, looking at his chances, how do you rate them?
1: It's funny you bring up that point of where he's from, because it seems that some elements of the, of the press, one that seems to uh, always be on a certain large board side, has... Uh, been, it's been an attempted hatchet job on uh, on Imran, <laughs> uh, trying to get to the bottom of his nomination, saying that he no longer represents Singapore because he's not a director of the country. So I'm not going to speak to the, the ICC regulations about whether you have to be a director of the country or not because, I, I as I believe, if they nominate you as their representative, then you're bona fide, you're their representative. And even though he's no longer on the board, then that's okay. But two things come to mind, that the myopic nature of certain elements of the cricketing world that automatically think that because you don't come from a test nation you're not capable of running a cricket board and adding to the fact that he's representing a cricket board while not being on their board, to me, the fact that he's got to this position that he's already had to fight past that tells me, and I think that Trist Lavalette and Forbes wrote the same thing and various other people, it makes him a perfect candidate. The fact that he's been able to get this far and and keep it together, and you know, we know that he was instrumental in getting Shashank Manahar back, who well was the first independent chair of the ICC, and from all accounts, took that position of neutrality seriously, where the fact that to nominate for chair now, you need to be a current or previous director of the ICC and people are talking about Ganguly, etc. So there's a p- potential of someone, you know, putting their country hat down on the table, getting up out of their seat and walking around to the chair position <laughs> and maintaining their independence. Look, you know, that that's the reality. Yeah, that's what could be happening. So um, it was Terminator, wasn't it? In an insane world, <laughs> is the sanest choice. But I just think... That's the type of leader that cricket needs, someone who's going to look at the game as a whole and bring people together. Because at the moment, everything you read is just telling you there's a split coming in the global game if it isn't here already. Arguments about the fixture list for the, the global events. And this is pre-COVID. This is before everything that, that's happened to do with the coronavirus. I don't know what the answer is otherwise. If we get someone from the BCCI who are already talking about getting their fair share, the IPL's running, you running know, at the moment. They get half a billion dollars a year from Star TV alone that doesn't count sponsorship that doesn't count the franchise costs that come in on, on, on a yearly basis they get 400 million of the ICC's money over over eight years just think if that money went back into the pot what it could do we talk about it all the time but to talk about wanting to get their fair share is is really scary for the future of global cricket and if they don't get it what what could happen because we saw it happen in the past with the big three reforms that came from India with two other countries with Australia and England basically saying if you don't come along with us we'll, we'll go off and do it on our own and you know we probably could have said the same thing in 2014 that cricket settled on a precipice but in terms of the global sporting industry at the moment and more distractions for kids to be picking up a bat and ball by the day this is the time that cricket should be coming together and look I feel like uh, the scientific journal of America you know we've we've never named in over 300 years Emerging Cricket has never endorsed a candidate
2: for ICC chair but we endorse Imran Kwadra <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to say I don't think anyone's ever compared him to the Terminator before, so that's um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean he was insane as well. I'm saying it's an insane world, and he's the sa- And he's the sanest choice. I, I hope that was taken as it was intended. <laughs> uh, um, yes, no, well, I, I agree, Tim. I, I think there are a lot of very dangerous undercurrents going on in cricket politics at the moment, and. Um, a split as much as I'm a you know a revolutionary at heart I think a split in international cricket would be very bad for the game and India honestly they have the power to basically stuff everyone else up so it's not in anybody's interest to you know bring that about so I, I think your point about keeping everyone under the same roof is is a really good one and yeah, Imran Khawaja I think, you know, the objections that he's not from a test country are quite strange in a lot of ways. You know, this idea that the quality of the national team of the country that you come from, somehow that affects your capacity to be an administrator, like, that just doesn't really make sense to me. And it's the same sort of mentality, I guess, as, you know, oh, well, this commentator never played test cricket, so they they don't know what they're talking about, when when really, you know, analysing the game You don't have to have played test cricket to recognize when someone's playing a good shot. So, yeah, I think that sort of full member snobbism that uh, we do well to get rid of. And, yeah, just looking at that press release that the ICC put out. It was sort of more interesting for what wasn't in it, in that they, they talked about the nominations being due on the 18th, and we sort of already knew that, but they didn't mention how they're going to go about the vote, and that seems to be the, the main sticking point over the last little while, is whether they are just going for a simple majority or, or a three-quarters uh, majority or maybe a two-thirds or you know whatever they want to go with. Uh, we, we just don't know at the moment, and that's something that they obviously need to resolve before they can get to actually voting on who it's going to be. I,
0: I wouldn't mind just adding that I know this is me preaching to the choir here in an Emerging Cricket podcast, but having a, a former leader of a, a non-full member for the sake of the ICC is really great. And even if there are full member issues to discuss and to deliberate on, it's good that someone from outside the full member sphere is making that decision or you know making a, a judgment. My my thinking is just that if there are full member things to deliberate on, and there are certain issues in the game which are pretty much premium to full members, it would be great to have a neutral making those those changes and decisions with the
1: the game's best interest in mind. Well, and and that's the funny thing, isn't it? You know, he's he's not actually a neutral. He's representing Singapore Cricket Association, and he's chairman of the Associates. You know, he gets he's got the most votes out of the three associate directors or for at least the last five years, um, probably longer, I'm just thinking from the first time that, that I was in those meetings, that it's not like he can come in there and suddenly make the World Cup 24 teams, you know, as great as that would be. You know, but it's a matter of of how he can bring people together in the way that he has. And isn't that what we want from a global, like a chair of a board? Yeah. A chair of a board should not be getting in fights about what is happening to their country or not. So every way you cut it, he's just such a, a great candidate. We'll
0: keep up with that story as it unfolds at Emerging Cricket. A few things to wrap... Before we do go to part two of our chat with Anchi Rath, Sandeep Lamachane has donated Nepali rupees one lakh to the ground staff at Nepal's Tribhuvan International Stadium in camp with the Delhi Capitals in UAE. Raman Shiwa Kodi handed over the amount on Lamachane's behalf. Sandeep is yet to feature in this year's IPL. Bulgaria in the thick of T20 international action again. This time they travel to Romania for the Balkan Cup where they'll play four T20 internationals against the Romanians at the Mahara Vlasie ground and Geneva Cricket Club are champions of Switzerland after they defeated St. Garland, defending 117 to win the annual 40-over competition. For more info, head over to EmergingCricket.com.
2: I'm Jared Kimber and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Perhaps the only cricket podcast that can tell the difference between Akira Bascom and Onais Bascom. So, you, you did mention that India game, uh, you know, that India game that everyone knows and you also talked about people looking at you on the street, you know, D- do you get much recognition in India for that performance and I know Hong Kong ultimately lost but it was, it was one of those uh, very attention-grabbing associate performances.
3: Well, we uh, we certainly lost in a very Hong Kong-esque way. <laughs> <laughs> Sn- snatching
2: defeat from the jaws of victory.
3: <laughs> Done it on more than one occasion.
2: Patented Hong Kong collapse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Classic. No,
2: they've, they've got it from here, yeah. <laughs>
3: oh, but, um, you know, around the cricketing circles over here, you do get in the odd people who whisper and stuff like that but no I think it's you know I'm a year down the line from being in India you know the game was obviously two years ago and that's not a game in which I want to live off you know that's not something that I want to be known for I want to be known for more than that and um, yes it was a great game and it was fantastic and Hong Kong did well against you know one of the best ball sides in the world but at the end of the day if you want one match to define your entire career then there's something seriously wrong with you so You know, people do talk about that match to me whenever I'm in and around the Nets or I meet someone new and stuff like that. And I'm very happy to talk about it. But again, it's not something that I want to be a major talking point, because if one match defines your entire career, then it's just, what's the point? There's no point. So nobody, it's not like I'm getting stopped in the streets for autographs anyway, so...
0: Not with that attitude, no, (laughs) I'm just, I'm thinking though, on one hand, it's proof though, that you can do it at the top level. And yeah, like you said, it's a one-off performance, but you you look at that team and it it is proof that, you know, you can do it at, at the highest level. What's the competition like, especially where, where you're at the moment, what's the crop of talent like around you?
3: Fantastic. The crop of talent's amazing, you know, which is one of the reasons why I chose Miturba actually is because the youth players and the pathway that the VCA have created is tremendous. They're back-to-back winners in the under-23 competition. They've won the under-19s about four or five times in the last seven years. They won the under-16s as well. They got to the finals or something. So there is definitely a clear pathway and a very good pathway that I think there are about four or five India under-23 players in the setup, which is great for me in terms of having that competition to get the best out of myself and it certainly is is something that you know obviously you're coming to a, to a, a place where cricket is a religion I mean, you are going to get competition but I've always thought that in India the biggest hurdle for Indian cricketers is, is the mental one and I feel like that's something that i I'm more experienced than most of the players here and that's something that I can use to at my advantage here. I might not hit a ball as well as some of these players, but, um, you know, I believe that I have the mental strength to tough it out when when the situations uh, dictate.
0: If associate cricket's not one of the ultimate tests in the game, I don't know what is, to be fair. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: good luck today and go out and play a natural game and if you don't win this game, uh, you won't have a job. And <laughs> uh, actually, we all won't have a job because we'll be getting half a million dollars less funding for the next three years. But trust your skills.
3: I can literally think of three matches where we've had funding on the line and we've just majorly screwed it up I remember I'm just thinking like going back to those situations and I'm just thinking how did I not just break down and quit cricket it's it's tough pill to swallow
1: on the flip side though there's some games that guaranteed it you know the last ball victory against afghanistan the world t20 qualifier in 2015 that was still one of my greatest cricket experiences and that, and i was watching i wasn't playing although i felt like i was, I was playing <laughs> well there's been a couple there that's uh, and the way that hong kong finished the world cricket league as well you know who knows how it would have gone if hong kong had beaten the netherlands in that game in early 2017 meaning that if all results had gone As they did, it would have been Hong Kong coming first in World Cricket League Championship.
3: But that's what I'm saying is that there are so many games you can just look at and just say, we have ourselves to blame. That Dutch game, the Nepal game in Zimbabwe, all of our games apart from Canada in, in Namibia. You know, you look at Kenya as well in the World Cricket League where we should have won the game again, another typical Hong Kong collapse. Just these little winnable situations, you know, that just don't happen, you know, just goes to show the kind of metal that Hong Kong cricket needed at that time. You know, The kind of tough grittiness, To stick out a situation was definitely that's where you know a player like a Jamie Atkinson or or Scott McKechnie would have definitely benefited us. A very you know little scrappy thirty in tough conditions certainly would have helped us. Unfortunately, it's it's just you know developing that mental side of the game and adapting to different situations is something that I've noticed definitely lacks in the Hong Kong side or has lacked over the years, which has led us to a to a number of collapses.
2: Yes, except against Canada. Scored a ton, pretty much made sure that Canada didn't get ODI status.
3: We nearly lost that game as well. I remember screaming at Esan Abbas, he was striking about fifty. And I was like, mate, what are you doing? We need to run a ball. <laughs> like, get on your eye horse. <laughs> I remember that was a nervy game as well, knowing the classic Hong Kong Collapse as well, so I was a bit nervous.
1: <laughs> it just sounds too good, doesn't it, with the alliteration, you know, Hong Kong Collapse. You, know, you always want to keep on saying it, even though it doesn't exactly have the best connotation. <laughs> just
3: rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? We've been saying it for four years now. <laughs>
2: So, looking at your, you know, you've been in India a year, you're trying to get into the Vadaba Ranji team, looking at that situation, this is a question uh, that goes to something uh, Rohith S., one of our patrons, uh, asked about, but what's the process to get into that side and and where are you up to at the moment? You mentioned you're sort of training on your own, but everything's uncertain at the moment with whether they're playing the tournament or, or, you know, what's going on with the situation in, in Indian cricket?
3: Yeah, so right now, Saurav Ganguly is in, I believe he's in Dubai for the IPR and I think he's coming back soon to sort of figure out this entire conundrum. You know, it's very difficult when you've got 38 state teams to sort of keep them safe as well, which is essentially a priority. It's very difficult to, to manage. And, you know, all we can do is hope and pray that they come up with some sort of system in which we can play cricket moving forward because you look around the world and domestic cricket is essentially resumed Everywhere around the world, you know, I read someone on Twitter the other day that Bangladesh have even started their domestic competition, and you know, India, being the powerhouse that it is, can't go without having a domestic season. I think it would be something that is of utmost importance. So I, I believe that now it's just a case of waiting and being patient. I'm in the provisional squad for the for the Ranji side, and, and all I can do is wait for things to get back and and to impress the coaches when uh, when things resume and hopefully break into that eleven.
2: And you know how how are you uh, supporting yourself in this time? Do you have a contract with Vidaba or, or are you working in India? What's what's going on?
3: Get this in the uh, in the domestic system. There's no contracts. Wow! It's all done on a match fee base. So if you want to get paid, you have to be in the eleven, and if you get injured, tough. So that's kind of the rule of thumb here. You know, when Ganguly first became head of the BCCI, he did mention his intention of introducing contracts uh, at the domestic level. But in its Ranji history, there have never been domestic contracts. So. At the moment, you know, I've saved some money. Obviously, when I was playing for Hong Kong, because the age of 18, what am I going to spend money on? Going to school and going to university. Oh, I
1: don't know. We went drinking with you in Namibia. You seem to, uh, yeah. y- y- you seem to find a a way of getting rid
2: of cash pretty quickly there over the well, bar. He's getting one dollar Vintuk lagers though. <laughs> no, Anchie,
0: that's not the bar, Anchie. That's the DJ desk. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, when you've got a uh, when you've got castle lights going. For- 10 rand or whatever it was it's criminal not to take advantage of that and definitely with the way the namibian team have been uh, promoting castle light you know it's, it's <laughs> you know, definitely something that i'm proud to have been a part of during that time but yeah you know i've, I've been fortunate to have a father that's very supportive and um, he's understood the situation hasn't exactly been as smooth for me as as it would have been so he's you know fortunately been able to lend a hand and, and support me you know, emotionally and as well as as a little bit financially, which is you know I'm very privileged and very, very honored and happy that I've got the support of my parents like that.
2: And just looking at this Vidaba team, you know is there any sense of um, you know maybe jealousy or or I don't want to say resentment, but you know are people sort of looking sideways at you that you're sort of parachuting in and you're you're not coming through the grassroots system, you're just sort of jumping ship from Hong Kong and and expecting to be picked? He's a passport player. He's either <laughs> not born in the country;
1: born overseas, learned all his cricket overseas. <laughs> expats,
0: expats. The one time an associate cricketer gets a, gets an advantage.
3: Yeah. <laughs> now you know. Funny you said that because I definitely thought that was going to be the case when I first came here. I thought people were going to look at me, uh, especially in India. You know, you've got a lot of players and a lot of competition, so. You know, they're going to try to do whatever they can to take it down. But, you know, in all fairness, Vidarbha, Nagpur in general, the, the players have been amazing. They've been very, you know, open to accept me. And they've been very nice and very accommodating to my situation. And they've sort of understood everything that I've gone through and that it's not just been an easy ride for me in terms of getting my feet firmly on the ground and really pursuing my cricket and um, they've been brilliant the bca as well you know they've shown me a lot of faith and a lot of support in, in everything that they've gone through so far you know in terms of uh your registration and and just you know keeping tabs on me and ensuring that everything's okay so no i think i certainly expected that coming in but you know i can't say a bad word about the people here they've been brilliant <laughs> but it's a true one to be fair
2: so, I guess, how, how would you rate your chances? You know, you, you've said that test cricket is your ultimate goal. Um, obviously, you haven't played a game for Vidawa yet. So, there's still a few steps uh, between, you know, now and there.
3: Yeah, there are loads of steps. But, you know, I've always believed that in order to achieve a long-term goal, you have to set yourself small targets and achieve them as you go along. So, right now, for me, is I've done the qualification, which was my goal over the last year. And now that I've qualified, the next goal would be to break into the 11. So yes. My ultimate goal is to play test cricket, but right now I'm putting all of my energies into Pitarba and breaking into their side. And, you know, I'm sure that once all of that happens, hopefully I'll make enough noise to get noticed and and we'll see from there. You know, I don't want to look too far down the line and say, this is where I will end up, you know, with crickets. It's very unpredictable. So I want to be as realistic as possible, but also remain optimistic. And in order to do that, it's just to achieve small goals, small targets for me. So right now, my current target, which I'm aiming for, was just to break into about 11.
2: And uh, this is, I'm, I'm very curious about this. But have you been working on your keeping at all? Because I, I remember in the GT20 in Canada in 2019, you were, you were keeping, and we we're all sort of surprised that, that that happened.
3: Yeah, I have been. You know, it's something that definitely adds a stream to my boat. You know, Fleming was certainly surprised that, uh, at a few takes and a few things that I did. Um, <laughs> I certainly wasn't expecting myself to keep during that tournament, but again, it's something that I did, and it's it's something that's only going to help me in the long run. So definitely, it is something that I am working towards, and you know, hopefully, I'll I'll be able to reap the rewards uh, in the future.
2: The old cricket triple threat, <laughs> yeah, the, the Matthew Wade, <laughs> the, the, the the
0: Matthew Wade, but. Can probably actually bowl. Well, I can
3: see Cutler remaining quiet, just uh, bursting, (laughs) trying to ask me what's happened to my bowling, if I've done anything or not. I can see that.
1: We've all got the Ian Baker Finches in our times in life. I love your bowling, but I also don't love seeing the look on your face when you've uh, you had a moment like you did in the EPL final?
3: See, I honestly need to sit down with someone I'm comfortable with and just break down my bowling because I think it's a combination of psychological factors as well as technique because I've never been coached on how to bowl. It's just something i picked up in this bowl. So I think it's a, it's a little bit of both that maybe a better technique would lead to more confidence or it's just something that I've I'm, I'm not really addressed and I need to address it with someone and in India people are just so quick to judge and I just I'm scared to pick up a ball and ball in the nets because you've just got eyes looking at you everywhere like I was very tempted to go off to Hong Kong and just work with Buckers for a good couple of months because he's someone who's actually gone through the yips as well and it would have been good because you know he's someone who I can be comfortable around and definitely drop those barriers and to allow him to sort of gain to it but it's not something I've had the opportunity to do.
1: For those not with the nicknames, that's Ryan Buckley, uh, ex-Durham cricketer and now a head coach of, of Hong Kong Cricket Club. It's like uh, Buckers. Everyone listening, going, "Yeah, Buckers. Yeah, he's he's a
2: good fella." Me and him go way back. <laughs> Getting a bit Channel Nine here, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well,
1: I tried. To, I tried to bring him back.
3: Yeah, well, it's it's something that I'm still exploring. So
1: yeah, I've, I've I've look. You've taken international wickets, and I've taken zero. So it's no matter of comparing. But you know, my heart. Went out to you watching your bowl, where it just looked like your hand didn't know what, what your brain wanted it to do. Yeah. You know, it was either letting go of the, go, the ball too soon or too late. And you just, you looked absolutely dumbfounded. Like, I remember you standing there, I was watching the stream live, and you just looked like, What am I supposed to do here? I'm trying to bowl. I run up and I'm bowling like I always have been. And it's either rolling up the pitch uh, or it's going the to, uh, full tosses. And I think there were two things that amazed me there that, you know, the reaction in you to get through the, the over and not to lose it, but also Paris Kadka, who is your captain, just was wandering up to you. Very very calmly talking to you, which I thought was some of the most endearing captaincy I, I, I've seen. You know, it's getting to the what, last overs of the of the final 20,000 people in the stands screaming, probably half, you know, but, well, maybe everybody, everyone that was supporting you saying, you know, what's going on here and everyone who's not supporting you is happy because you're going for all these runs. What, what did Paris say to you when he, when he walked up to talk to you during that over?
3: Oh, I mean, that, that complete over was a blur in terms of what was going on in my head. It was, I would say it was, I think it was a simple case of overthinking because the game before I took three for 20 or something like that. And then it's just not lack of practice, lack of confidence, the feel... The crowd, it's just everything combined at once. And it doesn't help when the crowd's chucking empty plastic bottles onto the ground and you have to hold it over for about five minutes, just thinking, right, I have to go through this. Five extra minutes for him. But no, he was fantastic. You know, it goes to levels as to the kind of human he is. You know, not just as a cricketer, but off the field as well. And you know, he was just as calm as he always is, and he just said, "Don't worry, just get through it. Just get through it. Don't worry, it's okay, it's okay." It, it was, it was tremendous. And you know, to win that match as well by two runs, I would, I wouldn't say I was ecstatic. Like, I would say it was more relief, more than anything. That you know, we'd gone through the entire tournament not losing a game, and then to get to the final, bowl that over. I think it was the eighth or ninth over. You know, I wasn't expected to bowl because our other overseas went down with a hammy, and uh, Paris chucked me the ball. And I remember looking at him and just being like, "Paris, don't bowl me. Do not bowl me." And uh, and he's like, "You just have to." I was like, "Oh well, okay."
1: And then it all happened on the last ball as well, didn't they? They needed yeah. four. They hit it into the outfield, ran one.
3: They hit it to me. And I was just like,
1: for God's sake, do not let this go for fall. That's right. You ran around the boundary, fielded it, threw it in. I think, well, they needed three and they were coming back for two. Yeah. But then they were going to be run out, but the, the keeper missed it. And then they, they got two and then they came back in Paris, had to run in and, and take the stump that didn't have a bail yeah, yes. to, to, to complete the run out. It was just pandemonium, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And there's you running in with your arms out. It was like... Oh,
3: <laughs> it was more relief out of anything. Oh, it was good to win that tournament. Luckily, I'm a bad singer. It's funny, actually, because you know Toby Bailey? F- Scotland. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotland. High-performance coach, isn't he? Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. He's doing a dissertation on the yips in cricket, <laughs> and he's actually interviewed me a few times, and he's interviewed a few other bowlers in uh, domestic cricket. It was some, or Warwickshire or something, he bowled one over in the final way, just literally like me, but the seam bowling, ver- oh, not as bad as me, but the seam bowling version of off the pitch. I think it was like, in the 90s or something. He didn't bowl a single over after that. Quite famous. I think it was against Somerset or something. And uh, he interviewed him, he interviewed me, interviewed a few others. And his theory was that, well, his, he said, he suggested me that I need to completely change my action, which was quite interesting. Um, it's not something I've explored.
1: With an ODI average of about 14, didn't you? Going at three and a half before. Uh, but that's that's a tough one as well, because you're like, well, what was I doing wrong? You know, that's the challenge, isn't it? Do I need to change or is it in my head? Yeah. Because I was doing something right beforehand, dearie me.
3: Well, see, the thing is, When I was at Middlesex, we had a spin bowling coach come during off-season. And that was a season where we had quite a lot of cricket internationally for Hong Kong. We played PNG, we had Kenya, then we had uh, World Cricket League against the Dutch, and then we had the Blitz. So I wasn't spending a lot of time off-season with Middlesex. And I remember I was back at Middlesex in the winter nets, and I was just rolling my arm over as I normally do. And they, they had the spin bowling coach come in. And this was when I would say my bowling was at my peak. I took all those wickets against PNG. I took three or four wickets against Kenya when we played them in the World Cup League. So my bowling was going well. And then I remember this one spin bowling coach told me to do something with my hip, sort of go more Graham Swan up and over like that. And I was, I've always been a part-time bowler. I've never been someone who's works on the technique of their bowling. But, you know, he, he was like an England spin bowling coach in whom I just say no, but I don't think I worked on that. And then come the Dutch game in those World Cricket League matches, I take a twofer in the four-day game, you know, bowling as I normally do, got a twofer in the first innings, and then and then in the second innings, Barber doesn't bowl me at all when they scored 400 or something. And Barber doesn't bowl me a single over. And I'm like, okay, that's strange. And he bowled like 10 overs and got hit with 80. But he didn't bowl me a single over. So I was like, okay, that's weird. And then you go to the ODI matches or list day matches. He brings me on in the 40th over. And this is when the Dutch are like 260 for three or something or 260 for forty. And he brings me on in like the 30th or 35th over. And then, you know, all of these things start to come to my mind. And that's when it sort of first started to go wrong. That's when I, I first felt out of rhythm. And then there were glimpses where I got it back. I felt in rhythm, but then I just feel like I didn't work hard at it enough. And then obviously, seven months later, the Nepal thing happened where I've been fearful to bowl ever since. But it's it's a strange one. I remember Paris taking me off the boundary because he was scared that Someone would chuck a brick at me. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: he took me out of the boundary into the ring. Scared, some fan would just chuck a brick at me. It's quite funny. Oh, looking back, it was quite funny.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I am sorry i am i am interested now. I'm going to find the the game for myself.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just we're all, we're all just reliving uh and she's
1: no, just go straight to youtube i think i think it's at about four million views
3: so I've been worst bowling ever
1: and she worst bowling ever goes for 36
3: i just can't wait to bowl in the ipo and just be like yeah i'm happy that i conquered the yips that's like the one thing that's getting me through the game
1: so test cap for india is a very close Silver medal, huh? But uh, <laughs> gold is to... Uh, to
3: ball it over in domestic cricket. <laughs> That's
1: all right. Nobody goes on YouTube these days.
0: The video on YouTube goes for seven and a half minutes.
1: Well, So they cut some out then?
3: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because they take a break because uh, people are chucking empty plastic bottles onto the field and security yeah. get involved. It's uh, pretty embarrassing at that stage. <laughs> well, all, all I can say is nothing will ever be as rock bottom as that.
1: It's all uphill from there, so.
3: Oh, dear. Well, one day when I get my bowling sorted, you can send that to everyone. I don't mind. It's
1: on YouTube. It's not, I don't own it. <laughs>
0: it's, it's one of those ultimate transformation videos. <laughs> exactly. That's
3: what I want, yeah. You know when they say all publicity is good publicity? I don't think it applies to this situation.
0: <laughs> well, we ask everyone here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, Angie Rath, if there was a law you could change, in cricket what would it be and why uh
3: well, i mean the obvious answer would be the man cat one <laughs> topical <laughs> oh, but i don't want to be boring um you know someone said that, i don't i don't remember who said it but a pretty famous commentator or pretty famous cricket pundit said it was the lbw decision that if it pitches outside leg and it goes on to hit stumps it should be out and you know, I was thinking that's not entirely the worst thing because it's such a batsman-dominated game that if it does dominate the stumps, then why Why not?
2: Interesting to hear a batsman saying this. No, no, he's an all-rounder. <laughs> Keeping all-rounder, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Keeping
0: bowling batting all-rounder. Yeah,
3: that's something I heard, but I would probably change the uh, amount of balls used in 50-over in format. I'd bring it back to one. Purely and simply because you bring finger spinners back into the game and you bring reverse swing back into the game. I think it, it levels the playing field definitely between batsmen and bowlers. It's a lot tougher to bat when it, the ball's reversing and when the ball's soft. And it definitely requires a different level of skill um, to play a reverse swinging ball or to ball uh, reverse swing. So I, I would do that.
2: Did you ever have any trouble like towards the back end of a of a 50 over game t- hitting the the old ball like just picking it up because it would get a bit grey with this coloration
3: Got black side screens I I don't see a problem with it I don't think there's a problem with it at all I think obviously if you if the ball completely changes color then yes I can understand but I think part of the reason of them bringing two balls into the entire equation was to give bowlers more of a chance in terms of swing and bounce but they didn't anticipate that the evolution of batsmen would be that they would just adjust to the pace and the swing and the bounce and just whack it. And with a white ball, it only really swings for three or four overs. I think, you know, you've just got the art of reverse swing completely gone. And how exciting was it to watch wazi Akram play 50 over cricket? Or how exciting was it to watch Brett Lee run in and reversing the ball at 140 clicks? I think it was brilliant in terms of a battle between that ball. And you also bring you know, finger back into the game. You know, you don't need finger spinners to just contain, which is what they're doing now. And, um, you know, it would, it would be nice to see that.
0: It's probably a good challenge too with the trying to hit a, a much softer ball. I'm trying to, like, I think that now in a lot of the death over situations, you know, teams are putting up 120 in the last 10 overs and you probably had destructive players that were capable of doing that, you know, a, a generation ago, but with the ball so soft, it was it was basically impossible.
3: Yeah, it just doesn't get fun to watch. I think, you know, I'm, I'm watching this IPL, which has been great. You know, the close matches have been really good, but the one-sided matches are just boring to watch because you've got one team scoring 140 runs in the last 10 overs or 90 runs in the last six overs, and you just think, well, it's, it's a bit boring. You want, you want competition between bat and ball. You don't want, you know, range-hitting practice, essentially, which is what it is. And being a cricketer myself, I certainly like watching battle between bat and ball, which is why I love watching test cricket so much, especially in England and Australia, because there's a fair battle between bat and ball. And you know, you don't just have to blindly play a certain way, you have to think yourself out of situations as well. Nowadays you look at a batsman who played in the 50 over format with the two balls. All, they, all all batsmen have to do now is just hit through the line of the ball and not worry about anything. And all you have to do and rectify that is in training. Whereas 10 years ago, you had batsmen who had to think their way out of tricky situations with the ball reversing. You had to change the way you played. You had to adjust and adapt to different conditions. Whereas now, I think essentially all batsmen have adopted the same batting style of just planting that front foot and just hitting you through the line. It's not as much... Thinking that goes behind it than what was ten years ago, which I think is the art of batting.
2: How, how do you find bowling with the softer ball, Tim? Because because I would just, as a non-spin bowler, intuitively think that the the extra bounce from the harder ball would would help you, at least you as a tall spinner.
1: Well, oh, I like being asked these questions, like I'm the cricketer in the room. Um, <laughs> I. Really enjoyed bowling with the new ball, but only the regulation, not the the top class turf ball. I really struggled to get my my hands around the the seam was a lot smaller. But I used to love bowling with the new ball, getting a bit of swing with the arm ball and whatnot. But yeah, no, the older ball was good because it it's roughed up, sits in your hand a bit better, and you can really get really get a grip on it. Uh, you don't have the same energy with the with the drift as anti said with the swinging for a couple of overs you know you can get a similar effect with a new ball bowling bowling spin but i don't know when you're picking it out of the pool of hong kong create club it doesn't really matter whether it's uh whether, whether it's, it's 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 new or used you know that was my second ball in hong kong first ball for no so it was cat you know first ball hit me for four over my head second ball hit me for uh for six over the end of the pool and uh welcome to hong kong but um we don't need to keep that bit <laughs>
0: I, I think I think keep that in personally <laughs> for posterity more than anything else.
3: Well, you forty-five meter boundaries is a batsman's paradise up at HPCC. Not gonna lie. <laughs>
1: I, I think I've got you out there a couple of times, Evan. I think I got you out on uh, synthetic. Yeah. I got, I, you, I got you out on synthetic in a, a. It was a staff game, and we played on the syntho, and uh, it wasn't a, a league game. And I think I tossed it up, and you went to sweep it and top edge it, and got caught by the keeper. So I was just like,
3: yeah. I was
1: just yep, ODI wicket straight in the pocket.
3: Yeah, I remember that I got like 10 or 15 that game Yeah, I remember you getting me out like that It's good bowling actually I remember you bowled a few faster ones And then you just chucked one up Tempted me, enticed me I
1: know Wasted, wasted potential Did the Keswick
0: Williams sign that Yeah sign that
3: there? <laughs> yep. That's one for the collection It's the pocket
1: Oh, I was CEO. I wasn't getting selected. It wasn't. It wasn't anyone's fault on my own. If anyone was going to get selected, if he was bowling well, I'd count down app on my phone until I qualified for Hong Kong. But unfortunately, I also ate for that complete time while I was uh, while I was waiting. But uh, look, it was it was on that second year that I got there. Who knows? But unfortunately, that uh, I was still qualifying. But anyway, this is not about me. This is about the guy that actually played for Hong Kong, not Hong Kong Cricket Club. <laughs> what a club!
0: Well, Anshirath, welcome to the multi-podcast appearance club at Emerging Cricket. It's been great to have you on once again. Honest and frank as always. Good luck with everything in India and we hope to hear from you very
3: soon. Cheers, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks.
0: A huge thank you again to Rath for joining us on the show over the last two weeks. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week, pass the pot around, and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler, and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.